Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-424-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia. 107.5 The Game on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. We're broadcasting live at Steel Hands Brewing here in Casey going until noon. Tyler, Colin, Wes, and Chris along with you. Of course, getting you closer and closer to South Carolina and Tennessee coming up Saturday night at 7.30, which you can listen to right here on the game. Uh, yesterday, I talked to Vince Ferreira, who works for 99.1 FM, the sports animal out there in Knoxville, which is the flagship of the Gamecocks. One of the things I asked him about, the line for this game, sitting at 12 with Tennessee being favored, does that number seem a little bit high to you guys? It certainly seemed high to him. Yeah, yeah, I thought I always kind of just in my head predict what it's going to be beforehand and uh, or at least give myself a window. I was thinking, I, I thought a little more than a touchdown. I didn't think double digits necessarily. I was kind of, you know, I'm a little bit biased, a little bit of a homer, so whatever number I instantly think, I add one to it, and then that's my <laughs> that's my guess. So I was thinking like eight, that's eight and a half. Went. Um, that's I mean, it's a pretty big number. I I don't know if we is Tennessee that good? Like, do we know that yet? Do we know that they're? I no. mean, that's not a great Florida team. We don't think. Maybe well, we're wrong again, on Florida. We we, yeah, we don't they, know they got, on anybody. They look awful against Utah. Well, yeah. and, and yeah. that's the only 
legitimate competition they faced. They faced a bad Virginia team, Austin P and FCS team, but they last week UCSA which, yeah. uh, without uh, their starting quarterback. So, like, we haven't really gotten a See, good gauge of exactly how good they are against solid competition yet. It's it's really weird because we've seen the South Carolina team, and, and some of it's probably baked into, like, the, the metrics and all that really poor performances, or that really poor performance against North Carolina probably yeah, weighting things down. It. Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, stats of War Parker, Fleming has a, a 35.8 predicted score for Tennessee, a 20.9 predicted score for South Carolina. So 35-21 or 36-21. Massey has it at 35-24 Tennessee, which is just it, – it's very, very odd to me that we look at it and see, well, this could easily be a one-score game and most of these metrics, probably because Tennessee's played lower-level comp- lower competition. South Carolina's played three power five teams. Mm-hmm. I think that probably skews some of it, too. ESPN's FBI matchup predictor. Y'all got any guesses? That thing's trash. You already, oh, you're off the FBI wagon now? Yeah, that's I thought you like it. You don't like it anymore. I mean, I like it just as a, just a one small indicator. Yeah, it's it's just it's trash. It's, so. fun. it's fun. Yeah. It's fun to talk about. It's like preseason ranking. Uh, 70-30. Collins, Ooh, I'm you just looked at it. Right at it. Okay, yeah. Tyler, yeah. Uh, I look at it every week too. Sixty-five, so. thirty-five. Yeah, you are both pretty on. Wes is seventy, thirty, basically seventy point four, twenty-nine point six. Yeah, I feel like it's closer, and I think it's interesting, Tyler. You said that Vince thought that that line was too high. I was talking to a couple Tennessee folks this week, who you know, not Tennessee folks, as in you know Robert McVall on Twitter, but you know <laughs> actual people who actually cover yeah, the Vol fan Rob. I, I give him way too much airtime on our show, actually. Um, Hashtag Vol Equalizer. <laughs> exactly. yeah, they're cut off yeah. for, for the rest of the week. I can't mention them again. Yeah, they're cut off. All right. Yeah, Vol, thank, actually, yeah. thank you. Wes. You get Vol, fined. Vol for life, Andy. You yeah. get fined. Yeah, all those people are cut off. Swear don't jar. But. Uh, I, t- I talked to some people who actually you know, cover the program, know things about the program, and those folks are a little bit more down on Tennessee. Not not as in they can't win this game or shouldn't win this mm-hmm. game, but they tend to think it'll be closer. Some of them picking South Carolina outright. Some of them think it could go either way. Well, I think we all expected Tennessee to not have that big of an issue going into the Swamp a couple of weeks ago because we saw Florida, again, yep. struggle against Utah. And then for Florida to – and now Florida had an amazing first half, and, and Tennessee certainly played better in the second half of that game. But Florida just had a lead that, that, that Tennessee couldn't overcome. But I think we all expected Tennessee to go in there and win that game when they didn't. It's like, whoa, maybe this Tennessee team isn't, isn't as good as we thought. Well, I always wonder how uh, – sorry, Colin. I always wonder right. how much these metrics – are still taking into account last year's data. Like at what point? I think some of them. I, I think they all kind of turn the page on from last year to this year at different points. Probably it's usually mid October. You know, and, and probably that. different percentages as far yeah. as how much of last year they factor in. And uh, you know, I, I think right now South Carolina, especially if you start getting into the traditional stats, it's like what I, I see people commenting about South Carolina's defense and they're you know they're putting out just well hey South Carolina ranks here here and here in the SEC on just traditional old school like yards allowed points allowed rush yards allowed and I'm like they have played the most difficult schedule of anybody you're comparing them Period. to yeah. in the SEC so it's really not fair you know this all stats don't lie yes they absolutely do so you know, I, I think this is – I think some people were asking about this at the press conference. This is a little bit of a battle-tested South Carolina team at this point. They've 
they've been in tight games. They've been in Power 5 games. Most of the opponents they've played have not played the schedule. They, they would, now, as the year goes on, everybody will kind of be in that same window. Right. But, you know, th- this team has been into battles, and I think, uh, you know, the, the metrics, I, I, I love Parker Fleming's stuff, but he his stuff doesn't give Spencer Rattler enough credit right no. now. The, uh, you know, South Carolina's passing efficiency or yeah, success or, rate. Yeah, that stuff looks pretty successful to me. That, yeah. that stuff, because because South be Carolina so has yes. been more efficient and more successful throwing the deep ball, but they haven't been quite as efficient with those short passes, that hurts Spencer Rattler and those metrics. And so the average depth of target, I think, for, for Rattler isn't that far, but a lot. But he's very efficient throwing the ball down the field. So things that are actually out of his hands right. are – are hurting his uh, success or, or how, how he's viewed it's a from very, those metrics. It's a very weird metric because South Carolina, per Parker Fleming statistics, the success rate, they rank 119th nationally in offensive passing success rate. <laughs> That's crazy. 57th in rushing success rate, oddly enough. But but, okay, you, well, but you're, you're counting but, you're counting right. those quick throws right. to the outside as, as your run. a pass. Yeah. No, right. no as a right. pass but in South Carolina viewing it as a run. Yeah, but in the metrics they're a pass. What's weird though is that they're top fifty nationally in points per drive because they've been so explosive. Yes. Which is that's that's where like the you kinda have to you have to look at the eye test and that's why I hate when people kinda bash on they just dismiss all these numbers. I'm not saying you are, but, like, they just say, I don't want to hear it. You take the numbers and say, why is it this low? And it's like that because those quick passes are considered passes or this. But you look at it and say, well, they're scoring points because they're so explosive because the, even when they're not efficient at times, Spencer Riley can just drop back and throw a 50-yard ball on a dime. And one thing I will say, and, and we've talked about it, if you're South Carolina, you know what you are right now. You've played North Carolina in ACC contender top three team in that league you've played georgia the two-time reigning national champion predicted to go to the playoff again you've played a mississippi state team that while not to that level maybe in north carolina and georgia is still good and even your fcs opponent is a top 10 fcs opponent so you know what you are you've gone on the road and played in athens already you've gone and done that tennessee do you if you're tennessee do you really know what you are because you played the worst fb worst power five team two G5 or an FCS opponent, a G5 opponent, you've gone to play Florida in the swamp. Like, South Carolina. And you got beat in that one. Right. (laughs) And South Carolina, I think, has a better idea of what they are compared to what Tennessee. Tennessee doesn't know what they are compared to what South Carolina does. And I think that there's something to that. Does that mean South Carolina's going to go up there and win by 21 points? No. But I think that you have a better idea of what you build your game plan for if you're Dowell Loggins and Clayton White because you know your personnel a lot more than maybe Tennessee does. Here's also where the metrics lose me a little bit in that it, it was shared, a video of the, the Leggett short yeah. throw, run after the catch. It was shared as an example of, oh, here's Rattler um, getting a big play, getting credited with 75 yards passing from a short throw. But that also does not take into account like we said we were debating on was the, was it the three read throw the yeah. deep ball or that one i i think that was at least his second option maybe his third but he he reads the defense he goes to at least his second maybe his third option 
He slides a little bit in the pocket. He throws the ball from a three-quarter angle, and he hits Leggett in stride. So you're, you can sit there and say, well, hey, the metrics sort of make a quarterback. Um, they, they tried to kind of divide up that a 75-yard throw in the air is different than a five-yard throw um, that turns into a 75-yard throw. However, then you also lose the nuance of he didn't just throw the ball out there. The guy had to adjust to it. The guy broke three tackles and then did everything on his own. Rattler did things the right way in order to create that right. play as well. Which is, and I love, too, the, the turnover-worthy play stat, too, from PFF. I think that's a really, really telling one. And Rattler... Um, if you go to GameCock Central, there's a story on it now. But his his rate of turnover-worthy plays are vastly lower. Like, just the rate of it. Obviously, you've only played four games to 12 in a regular season last year. But that's down from, I think it was, as the story loads, I think it was like 5.3% last year. And right now, he has three through four games. He's averaging less than a turnover-worthy play per game. And two of those came against Georgia. So, that's... That's something that, yes, success rate and EPA, and you can throw all these numbers out there and these acronyms out there, but Rattler is, has a turnover-worthy play on 1.8% of his dropbacks. Last year it was 4.3. Um, now his big-time throw rate is down this year compared to last year, but he's doing more things efficiently in that intermediate game, allowing guys to make plays, and I think that there's no stat that's going to show you making the right decision at the right time. And I think that's what he's doing so well right now through four games. Yeah, and, and I don't like penalizing. I, I'm totally with Wes. I don't like penalizing a guy for making a great decision. I agree. And, yeah. Uh, making a great decision and then making, you know, instead of just, oh, that's a short throw. No, look at everything else. Dow Loggins mentioned the, the throw to Mario Anderson. It was a throw to the flat. Yeah, let, let me say real quick too, Chris, a point I keep meaning to make. It would be one thing if all of your throws were the short ones and you were getting all your passing Check yards down off Charlie. of that. Yes, yeah. exactly. Continue. Yeah, and, and it's not. Like, we've seen both of, uh, of those from, from Spencer Rattler. I mean, we don't penalize quarterbacks who throw the ball downfield and have a an Alshon Jeffrey, Xavier right. Leggett, or, or, you know, name your big-time wide receiver across the country, go up and get the football. I mean, oftentimes, oh, great throw, great decision. Right. Well, your receiver did just as much of that work you know, to go up and get that football, too. We don't penalize them for that. So yeah. I, I think you have to mix the stats in the eye test. And, I mean, Spencer Rattler is passing both of those right, right now. He's uh, 9 of 15. Now, he's only thrown 15 passes this season, 20-plus yards downfield, air yards, throws that actually go 20 yards. But he's completed 60% of those for 380 yards. That's 25.3 yards an attempt with three touchdowns and one interception. You'll take that every single day when you go deep. Absolutely. Especially compared to what you're talking about Joe with uh, Joe Milton earlier. He's yeah. at, what, like nine? He's at seven of, of 26. Seven of 27. Like, it's yeah. just, right. That's that's where you get into what is he doing and, and how well is he doing it. And I think that that's where the eye test comes in. Absolutely. We'll hear a little bit more from what the coordinators had to say yesterday ahead of the Tennessee game coming up on Saturday as the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs rolls on live out of the Still Hands Brewing in Casey here on the game. Welcome back in. It is the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler, Wes, and Chris broadcasting live at Steel Hands Brewing in Casey. 
Colin had to balance. Me and him are doing the halftime show coming up from noon to three right here after the takeover hour. Of course, Saturday night, you got the Gamecocks and the Volunteers out at Neyland Stadium. Coordinator speaking to the media yesterday. One thing that Dow Loggins talked about was the hostile environment that uh, Neyland Stadium is going to be in cleaning up some of the pre-snap penalties that we've seen South Carolina deal with this season. Here's what Coach Loggins had to say yesterday. It is. That was one of our playing smart, smarter football, playing cleaner football was one of our emphasis going from that game to the last one. Um, it will continue. We're going to play in an awesome, awesome environment. I played there as a player like in 2002. I think we lost like a five or six overtime game where Witten caught a seam down the middle and beat us. Um, and like the fifth or sixth overtime, we missed three field goals. So we're going to have to check the tape what Bob Holt said on that being the best holder ever. But uh, it is like these, all these SEC venues, you feel the the atmosphere. Just like people when they last week, Mississippi State felt ours. Like you come in these things and they're packed houses with passionate fans and you feel it on third down, you feel it on backed up situations, you feel it in the red area, especially near their student section. Um, it takes concentration. It takes an extreme discipline. We we practice this stuff. Um, we obviously we didn't do a good enough job coaching it last week again or two weeks ago against Georgia because there are too many pre-snap penalties. Um, that's something we need to continue to improve on is playing clean football. We've taken a step in the right direction, and this week will be another huge test in a in an awesome environment uh, in a hostile environment. Anytime you go to another SEC school, it's always going to be a great environment. When we talk about Neyland Stadium this weekend, 100,000 people obviously fired up from what happened the end of last season. It's going to be even more hostile this time around. He mentioned that Georgia game a couple weeks ago where he had the likes of Babalade, Garjulo drawing some pre-snap penalties just because purely they'd never played in an environment that uh, like that before. And you take it again with Neyland Stadium this Saturday, and you're turning it up to an even higher level. So, again, are you going to expect one or two of those things to happen? Sure, but it's something you can't have consistently happening throughout the game on Saturday. I think you can't let it snowball, you know, and it, I think if you – one thing I, I think Spencer has also done a great job of is just uh, you'll see him go, you know, pat his guy on the helmet and kind of verbally, hey, you know, we, we got this. And, um, you know, I, I think when you have your quarterback who sort of is uh, kind of willing to kind of will his guy forward and say, look – um, you know, let's forget that it happened. Let's let's go get the next one. You just can't let it snowball. You can't let it get in your head. I think I tend to think the biggest issue too with those things is that it, it sometimes just allows your opponent to to time your snap a little bit better because a lot of times you're in a silent count and it, it sort of affects everything about your operation. It will be a factor. It always is. There, there's a reason that Vegas, you know, in general gives you three points for home field advantage it's a real thing i do think like we've talked about south carolina's now been in a hostile environment they've been in a big neutral site environment in an nfl stadium for for babalade to just experience that for trovon ball to get some snaps against georgia all those things i think will help you going into this week but yeah it's it's obviously a factor it always is yeah and I look at South Carolina's field position, guys, um, really dialing into the last couple of games. It's been awful. Really bad. Really, really it's been bad. awful all year, actually, yeah, I feel like. Yeah, 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 it has all year. And um, I was pulling some of the numbers from the past couple of games. I mean, I'm only I'm only on the first half of the Georgia game, but they, they started at 35 because Georgia kicked it out of bounds, scored a touchdown. After that, they were 25, 12, 20, and 8. That's their own yard lines. 
and they still managed 14 points against Georgia, which is pretty good, right? And I think that speaks to the explosiveness at times of this offense, being able to put some things together. Well, go and look at Mississippi State. I don't have every single one of those yard uh, markers in front of me either, but they had five, they have five touchdown drives in that game. Two of them were 98 and 99 yard drives. If you you know you're talking about betting lines, I would lay down a lot of money on teams not putting down putting together 98, 99 yard drives with any type of consistency. Especially now, consider you'd never done it in the Beamer era prior to that. Yes, I mean it was. You know, you, you look at that field position and go, oh, boy, this could go badly, right? And it, it can, and more often than not, it does because more often than not, you're bogging down, you're punting it back to the other team, they're getting it around midfield, and they've got to make it 20, 30 yards to even get into field goal range, right? But they had a 98, 99-yard drive. They had two others that were 75-yard drives, and then their, only other t- their other touchdown in that game came after a Mississippi State fumble where Judge Collier did run the football into Mississippi State territory. You had a very short field on that one. Point is, they didn't have short fields in the game. They, they had been manufacturing things on offense. Now you go to what we heard Loggins say. If you have a punt down on the one or two yard line in Knoxville, that is a lot different than having it down williams Price. Now you've got the crowd in your ear. you got communication. you got the potential for you know, some procedural things related to the noise, the communication of Spencer Rattler getting you in and out of certain looks. It cause, it can cause you a lot more problems. You don't want to be in those situations on the road. <laughs> Spencer Rattler has shown he's good enough to get you out of some poor looks, cover things up, spaghetti sauce, as Dow Loggins has said, but you don't want to rely on that over and over throughout the year. First of all, I really have come to enjoy the Dow Loggins <laughs> press conferences. Like, yeah, you don't quite know what you're going to get, but I – I do think you get a lot of just him being genuine and, and honest about things, not as much coach speak. Spaghetti sauce is probably not my favorite of his, of the Dowlisms. He's at this used point. it a couple times. Yeah, that one's not my favorite, but <laughs> he, he's got some good ones. To, to Chris's point and going back to, I don't know why we're giving Parker Fleming so much run today because I'm just like holding my tongue on getting in a Twitter battle because he, there's still more, there's more talk on here about Rattler. And uh, the implication is that a lot of what he's doing is by just throwing short passes, right. which, if anything, those short passes have not been that successful. It's been the, the deeper balls that have been successful. But anyway, I digress. Field position for South Carolina, and I don't know if this is just average or if it's run through some other metric that I probably won't understand. Either way, 124th in the country for South Carolina's offense as far as starting field position. Right. We'll certainly dive more into those numbers as we continue to preview South Carolina and Tennessee again coming up Saturday night at 7.30. As always, though, we thank our friend Larry Chandler and Firehouse Subs for being such a great supporter of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Yep, had Firehouse Subs yesterday, guys. It was Wednesday, so I hit up the sub of the day which was the new york steamer and it was absolutely fantastic and they still have a sub of the day for every single day of the week but let me give you a newer recommendation today you may have heard us talk about it on the show it is back for the first time in quite a while and that is the king's hawaiian pork and slaw sandwich slow smoke pulled pork melted pepper jack sweet and tangy slaw sweet mustard sauce and mayo on a toasted king's hawaiian bun and they also recommend guys pairing it firehouse subs tropical cherry limeade great combo you can order it 
on firehousesubs.com via the Rapid Rescue, so it is waiting on you when you get to the Firehouse Subs of your choice. There are 14 different locations around the Midlands owned and operated by our good friend Larry Chandler. Get it there or download the Firehouse Subs app to earn yourself some rewards toward future purchases. Firehousesubs.com, the Firehouse Subs app. That's the King's Hawaiian pork and slaw sandwich. All right, I got to bounce to get back to host 9 to or, uh, 12 to 3 with Colin back in the Herndon Chevrolet Studios. Wes and Chris will continue to drive Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs live out at Steel Hands Brewing in Casey going until noon. We're talking about sponsored by Love Chevrolet on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Well, you know, we, we always talk team defense. I don't, you know, I'm not going to blame it all on one player by far. But all of us in that room, in that in that defensive side of the ball, we definitely know that the full body of work right now is not what we want, and we know we all need to improve. But our guys are, are fighting, they're practicing, they're looking each other in the eyes, there's no finger pointing. And to one, if you have that kind of culture, you can always fix things in the middle of a game without guys going sitting on the other end of the bench, and then you end up losing that football game. Um, a bad culture team would have lost that football game because of what was going on individually and as a group and as a defense, but our culture brought us together, starting with Coach Beamer, uh, our seniors, our leadership. That game would have easily got lost, but those guys are great character guys, and they were able to stand tall. Wes Mitchell here, Chris Clark, live, still hands brewing, 2350 Foreman Street, Casey, South Carolina. Hanging out, beautiful fall weather out here at Still Hands. That, of course, the voice of Clayton White, South Carolina's defensive coordinator, talking about a couple of the issues South Carolina had giving up some long pass plays in the game. I, I did notice, first of all, Chris, I, I thought it was um, it was good. Clayton White, right off the top, said, look, hey, it's, it starts with me. And I, I think not that you always have to win a press conference or, you know, that it, it matters. You know, ultimately fans are going to judge you on on-the-field stuff, but – I think it goes a long way if there's an issue. Some coaches we see sort of avoid taking ownership when there's an issue, and some coaches are, are very quick to say, look, it's it's my defense. If something doesn't go as planned, it starts with me, and then it kind of trickles down to everybody below me. Also, he, he made a point at a, at a different point in the press conference to talk about, hey, they tried to get us on one of the same exact plays that – Mississippi State had successfully hit South Carolina on earlier in the game, and South Carolina defended it perfectly later on in the game. So they were making adjustments, as Clayton White said, within the game. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think some of this, Chris, some of what you saw Saturday, you, you credit Mississippi State. They found a good matchup. They executed it on all ends. Um, their receiver, I mean, dude was fast. He was making <laughs> plays. And, um, you know, Will Rogers looked as comfortable as far as just making throws, like throws we saw him miss quite a bit leading into this game. It felt like Mississippi State maybe simplified a little bit on their end and uh, just got him back to doing what he used to do. So some of that you credit Mississippi State. I tend to think South Carolina – I don't watch one game 
and say, oh, they can't defend the pass down the field. Um, our team starting to kind of attack, and this is not about any one player, have they kind of attacked the nickel position uh-huh. regardless of who's kind of rotated in there? Yes, I think that is fair to say. If there's one area teams have attacked in the passing game, it kind of has been the nickelback spot, even though multiple guys have played that position. So that's maybe something to keep an eye on moving forward. But I also think you go into a game like this, I'm sure that's been a big focus and practice this week for South Carolina is trying to take away some of the things that Mississippi State exploited this past week. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those situations where um, if you're taking a really simple view, you could just say nickel spot has not been good enough in coverage. I, is there truth in that? Yeah, sure. Um, but there's also some more complex issues as to why. So, if, like, if you look at the Mississippi State game, I mean, one of the deep balls, not a touchdown, uh, DQ slipped, actually. Mm-hmm. An- another at least one or two. I think Shane Beamer actually referenced this either in his post-game presser or on his Sunday teleconference. There's no safety help when there should have been, right? And so your guy's out on an island. There have been other instances in which guys haven't played with good enough technique and have gotten beat or they've been outrun. But to your point about nickel, we have seen, Wes, what, four guys take snaps there. Keenan Nelson Jr. started week one. We've seen Kawan Banks. We've seen David Spaulding, who... Um, had a stretch where he was banged up. He's come back in and and has played and helped. We've seen D.Q. Smith there. He's spent some time at nickel. He spent some time at safety. Jalen Kilgore is a freshman, of course, getting in there at safety. But whether it's um, you know cleaning up some technique issues, whether it's cleaning up the assignments, which, as you pointed out, and as Clayton White pointed out, we saw that even as an in-game adjustment, they were able to clean up some of those things. Or um, personnel, like trying to figure out uh, maybe it's still an ongoing process of what is your best five at each position in the secondary? Because as Beamer has said, you don't have as much depth as you would like there. Um, and so they've used a lot of guys, but it, it seems like they haven't maybe settled on their best five yet. So I think it's all of those things that have factored in. Uh, but you're right, team. Mississippi State, from what I saw, they really were scheming up mm. to try to get those favorable matchups. And to credit, I mean, Tulu Griffin is, is a matchup problem, right? Um, the issue for South Carolina is there are other teams that are going to give you matchup problems too because they also have really, really good wide receivers and they've got quarterbacks who can get it to them. Well, I think there's multiple ways you can approach that nickelback spot. You can approach it as I'm going to put a cornerback at at nickel or I'm going to put more of a safety at nickel. And ultimately, you kind of want a guy that can do a little bit of everything. But the second you just say, all right, we're just going all in on coverage, we're going to put a smaller guy in there. We're going to put a coverage guy in there. Then you start getting blown up on quick screens, and you're going, well, why are we getting blown up on these quick screens? Well, I think, you know, DQ Smith, like it, it's one of those things sometimes Sometimes if you mess up an assignment in football, nobody even knows you messed up an assignment. When you yeah. mess up an assignment in man coverage in football, uh, and Again, some of these plays, he thinks he has safety help, and, and it's not there. Another play he throws, you know, he falls down. But you naturally, like, fans are going to remember, oh, I saw him get beat. Mm-hmm. They don't see all the other plays where he's in coverage and doesn't get beat, and they don't see all the plays where he um, set the edge playing that nickel spot. They don't see he's actually been one of South Carolina's best blitzers off the edge. So when you have 
a guy at that nickel spot who has a knack for getting into the backfield, blowing things up, that provides value as well. I think where South Carolina kind of hurts right now is when you do face a team that has that just speedster at that slot spot on the other side. Nickel nickel is almost always lined up across from the slot receiver. So if you're in man coverage and you just have a burner, you have to bracket him, you have to maybe slide coverage over, or you have to try to match up by putting kind of that that cornerback type at nickel. Well, South Carolina just does not have the depth at corner that they did last year where we saw them kind of be able to move guys around, especially once they got healthy in the secondary. They were able to, you know, they I, I thought that they don't win that game against Tennessee last year, in my opinion, if Cam Smith was not available to slide over there. They said, look, we're playing man coverage. We're putting Cam Smith there, and we're going to dare you to throw the ball down the field on us. And, you know, they, did they give up some yardage? Of course they did. That was a great Tennessee offense. But uh, that, to me, put them in a position to win the game. So I, I think, like anything, you kind of at times want to be able to play the matchups on defense. If it's third and long, you want to be able to maybe add that additional cover guy in there. We did see them play some dime you know, personnel-wise, I think, in the game and passing situations this past week. But I think as the year goes on, maybe maybe the guy we haven't talked about enough, Chris, Judge Collier. There's an article from uh, our own Jack Veltri on there who, um, you know, as far as talking about Judge and his ability to come along and uh, his progress as a true freshman, as this year progresses, maybe Collier coming along gives you a little bit more of an ability to maybe slide a Marcellus Dial over to nickel, potentially. He's worked there before. Cam Smith, 80 snaps at slot corner, which is what PFF calls it, nickel, against yeah. Tennessee last year. was huge in that game. Yeah, he basically followed Hyatt yep. around. So, um, all right, y'all, uh, we will continue the defensive back conversation, and we'll be talking about what South Carolina may do to try to match up with this Tennessee passing attack. And... Um, Joe Milton, the entire crew, and the kind of new-look Tennessee passing attack. Uh, We'll be continuing that on the other side. The game will be at the beach. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. With Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks. In Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach. And 100.5 The Game in Florence. He's 70, 80, bro. So, he, uh, um, he... Like I said, I've been around a lot of quarterbacks. As far as arm strength, I don't think I've seen anybody who can throw the ball on tape farther than him. So that's a challenge one. He's big. He can run. Obviously, he had an 81-yard run last week against um, UTSA. Is that correct? UTSA. Um, Watch a lot of tape, so it it all comes together. So Um, 81-yard touchdown run against them. So that that combination right there is is, is lethal. I think that, um, you know, Obviously, he's a quarterback who I remember seeing him in 21 to warm up. So he warms up and throws the ball from like from the 50 to the end zone, through the end zone, just to intimidate us. But, but he has a strong arm and um, he's definitely a talented man. And 
South Carolina defensive coordinator Clayton White there talking, of course, about Joe Milton. Chris Clark here, Wes Mitchell, still live from Still Hands Brewing. One more segment before we hand the keys over to Tyler and Colin back in studio. Chris, uh, Clayton White said he's got 50 in his arm. <laughs> Clayton White, a former quarterback. That's pretty good, yeah. Former quarterback, so I, I do believe him. Quarterback turned linebacker. Yeah, I do believe him. Um, but Joe Milton, I mean, it's been talked about all offseason. The strongest arm in the history of football. <laughs> but but seriously, I mean, it, the consensus is strongest arm in college football right now probably. Yeah. yeah. Is there anybody else up there? Oh, there's some strong arms. Guys. Well, yeah, but but this is on I, another level. I don't, I, feel I, don't, like. I don't think so. Not this year. I think he's a di- I think he's a different guy than Hendon Hooker in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. He had he had the 81 yarder last week, which the running game's really not a huge part of what he does. And you know, you look at what was it, 21 miles an hour? Like, yeah, that's that's impressive at that size. I think he's a little bit of a build build up to speed guy, though. It's kind of my take on it. Like, you look at him run like that, and you're like, well, why is the running game at his size not a bigger factor in what he does? I think it just takes a little bit of time for him to sort of get going, which when you're playing in these kind of four, five, six, ten-yard windows, which is generally where you're running the football, it it's just maybe he's not as explosive as Hendon Hooker, I think. Uh, sometimes he just doesn't choose to run, maybe as much as Hooker did, but I, I don't know necessarily if the explosiveness is there. We talked a lot about uh, the notion of, of forcing Joe Milton into mistakes or just forcing errant throws or covering a guy well enough to where the throw has to be perfect, right? Because if you go back and look at statistically or just watch Joe Milton throughout his career, there have been times when accuracy has been an issue. Now, he's improved on that the last couple of years, Wes, um, but it's hard to get a great sample size, right? The, the interception that he threw against Florida in their game the week before last was his first interception since 2020. But he had not been a you know full-time starter, right, 2021, 2022, and then coming into this year. Um, last year in spot duty, he was 10 touchdowns, no interceptions, right? and 65% completions. This year it's 62% completions, eight touchdowns, uh, one interception, and he already has 925 yards. So the numbers have been you know, pretty good there through the first four games. But I still think there's some questions about it. Yeah, nobody questions the arm talent, the size we know from what we saw in that run against UTSA. He's also got the speed. Um, but what we, don't yet, what we don't know yet is, is Joe Milton an elite-level quarterback? Not physical traits, but an elite-level quarterback in his first time in a while stepping into that starting role. They've really had one big test that was against Florida. I don't think Joe Milton was as big of – he wasn't the problem, quote-unquote, in that game. I think Tennessee had a lot of issues in that game. But that's really the only test they've had, whereas South Carolina, as we have covered, they've seemed to be – they have been tested multiple times already this season. So – we're obviously talking Joe Milton right now, but ultimately this game will get back to South Carolina's ability to stop the run, I think, against the Tennessee offensive front that uh, you know has been pretty good at the running game and three really good backs who create 
uh, you know, high yards per carry. I think the top two yards per carry guys in the SEC are both at Tennessee. Um, and that's even that's not one of those things where it's like one guy has three rushes for <laughs> yeah. 60 yards yeah. and it's it's skewed. They all have a legitimate sample size of rushes. I go back to this win for South Carolina over Mississippi State. And if you've told me even going into this game, man, that South Carolina can just pick one, hey, do you stop the pass or do you stop the run? Pick one and just let the other fall where it may. You're picking stop the run. Absolutely. Ten out of ten times, I think. So I, I, I still don't think we have given quite as much maybe uh, credit to South Carolina for just how well they stopped the run against Mississippi State. Let's lean on another Twitter stat guy, our boy Clark Brooks, SEC stat cat. Yesterday he got through his deep, deep, <laughs> and then another deep, add another one on there. Really, really, really deep. The shame yes. Yeah. Uh, breakdown of this game, and according to Clark Brooks, again, Follow him on Twitter at SEC underscore stat cat. Mississippi State had negative rush yards before contact in the game um, and rocked a 56% stuffed run rate. So I'm not a genius on what all these analytics mean, but stuffed run when you're on offense is not good. Over half of their runs got absolutely stuffed. And they they allowed eight tackles for loss to South Carolina versus having just five, which you would call successful carries um, for, for Mississippi State. They uh, The running backs failed to log an explosive play, a gumption run, which I don't quite know what the definition of that is, but I know a gumption run would be a positive thing. Yes. And they did not have those. Or even a first down carry. How did, how did that happen? I think the longest run in the game was the seven-yarder. I know the longest run by running back was by Woody Marks, and it was seven yards, and I think that was his touchdown run. That was the mo- the best blocked play that they had all night. And, and that, should, uh, on a, that should count as a first-down carry. Yes. Because it, you got a touchdown. If, you, <laughs> yeah. if it's a touchdown, it should count as a first-down carry, in my opinion. But either way, it would be one if you even credited them. So the longest run by any running back in the game, period, was nine yards by Mario Anderson then because South Carolina's longest yeah. run was nine yards. That's right. Tulu Griffin had the long run for Mississippi State, a receiver, nine yards. Spencer Rattler for South Carolina at 28 yards. Yes. Uh, Not a great display. No, it, it really wasn't. Uh, all right, y'all, we are out of time here, but once again, shout out to Still Hands Brewing. Always great hosts, always a great place to come hang out. And, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful day to come hang out outside, get some sandstorm lager. We're out of time, but we're going to turn the keys over to our friends Tyler and Colin. For Chris, I'm Wes. We'll see you tomorrow. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit 
FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.